Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. Some like TSA things that we've had stopped before. One of the things that was taken away was guacamole. Uh, because it's a it's a liquid or a gel, it falls under that category. So I was like, "Come on!" Yeah, it's it's technically a liquid, right? It's technically a liquid, and the the lady kind of laughs. She's like the TSA lady. She's like, "You know, you could have walked through here if you didn't mash up the avocados." She's like, "If that would have been totally fine, but because they're now technically a paste, we have to take it from you." So we sat sat in front of TSA and ate our guacamole before we went through. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of No Blackout Dates. My name's Tim, and uh, I'm not going to try to imitate Evan's voice because I can't sound as badass as him, but Evan is out this week traveling. So I've got myself a guest host. We have AJ Kinney from Matador Network joining me. We're going to talk all things expat life. We're going to talk about being an orbiting parent, a new term I learned about today, and we're going to talk about fishing. So stick around for that. Before we do that, though, is our... our uh, increasingly famous hot takes segment. AJ, I've got one question for you today, and it's something that I think we both probably have a, a fair amount of experience with, uh, which is surrounding airport security. I once had a steak knife taken from me at airport security because I forgot I had it in my backpack. And this thing, it's a big knife. Uh, they took it from me. I'm very fortunate there were no further questions asked. They just took it and sent me on my way. What is the craziest thing you've ever had taken from you at airport security? I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had anything taken off. Oh no, I have. All right, here we go. Um, it was flying back and it's not even crazy. I was just really pissed off about it. We were flying back from Cuba and we were going through airport security in Cuba, which is a whole different world of airport security. And I had this little uh, case in my dob kit that has like tweezers and fingernail clippers and you know, the little thing that scrapes under your fingernail. I don't even know what it's called. Um, so I had this case that I've traveled all around the world with. And um, the security, the TSA, or not TSA, whatever it's called in, in Cuba, took um, everything out except for the fingernail clippers. And I'm like, none of this is, is like bad. Like you can get on any plane in the world with this stuff. Why these items? And they were, you know, explaining to me in Spanish and I have horrible Spanish. And I was like, you know, it's at the end of the trip. I'm leaving Cuba. It's not even worth fighting it. Like, just let them, let them take it. But I was so upset. I remember my wife was just like, just let it go. Just don't even, don't even engage. Just let it go. But yeah, that's probably my, my favorite one. But why, why did you have a steak knife? I have to ask. What was the point of having a steak knife in your backpack? I don't know. I think it was because I was on a camping trip before um, and just had some cutlery in there and I forgot to take that one out. But as I've, and I've you know, mentioned this before many episodes ago, but now I, you know, my, my knife set in my kitchen is missing one knife because that one was <laughs> taken by TSA. So it's, there's a, always a gaping hole in my knife set in the kitchen. Another time, actually, in France, I had a beer in my backpack. And the guy was like, okay, well, you know, you can either chug it right now or I'm, I've got to take it from you. So we just sat there and chugged a beer. I remember, yeah, I've, I've had 
I've had some of those like near moments and I'm like, oh shit, that's right. I can't bring this on or I have to check a bag now because I have liquids or whatever in it, um, which I never love doing. But uh, yeah, definitely. I'm sure there's some great ones out there too. I'd love to love to hear some others. Yeah, no, that's that'd be great. If, uh, leave us an Apple review, actually. If you have a good story about TSA taking something from you, comment about it on Apple and let us know. We'll bring up the best ones on the show if anybody has any. Uh, that's it on my side, AJ. What do you got? Well, it's not as fun as that, but um, I know you guys love talking about food, and food is always brought up on this show, so I wanted to bring up something around restaurants and food. What is your biggest pet peeve when you go out to eat at a restaurant? doesn't have to be you specifically, but if you like see something or if there's like any sort of engagement, what's your biggest pet peeve? Definitely people that are rude to wait staff and don't have a general respect for service industry workers or, or are just short with people. But if I had to narrow it down to be more specific, I think it would be people who can't accept the restaurant experience for what it is and what the restaurant is trying to do and try to modify every little thing on, on what they order. Uh, that, that drives me nuts. I mean, obviously having a food allergy or something is one thing, but if you're just sitting there asking for a million modifications on a basic order, I don't, I don't, why are you even going out to eat in the first place? Yeah. And even the, the previous point about rude to wait staff, I know that's, that's one thing that I've always been really upset at is just because I, I worked in the service industry and so did my partner. And it's something that we've always said, we're going to have our child be a part of and as like their first job, either, you know, washing dishes or, you know, bussing tables, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, it's something that I feel like everybody has to learn at some point. And the best way of doing it is being on the opposite side or the receiving side of that. Um, I think mine personally is poor table manners. Um, and the worst, the absolute worst is when I see someone chewing with their mouth open. It's like instant, instant, like red in the face. I get upset. I'm like, how can you not chew with your mouth closed? Like, I don't care if it's, you know, culturally appropriate. Like, it's just so unappealing. I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I get you on the chewing with the mouth open. I know I have to admit that I am not known probably for the best table manners. I'm sure my life would laugh to hear me say that. But I'm glad that, you know, you and I dined at a fairly nice restaurant in Denver one time a few years ago, and I don't remember you calling me out about my manners, so maybe it's not so bad. I'm fine with elbows on the table. I'm fine with, you know, I don't I don't care what side your knife or fork is. Like, I'm not like that. It's more, yeah, it's the, it's the mouth open chewing for me. I don't know. It just gets me every time. And it doesn't even have to be out at a restaurant. It could be literally anywhere. Like, even if I'm walking by a restaurant, I'll be like, mm, chewing with your mouth open. Yeah. Now there's that asshole chilling with his mouth open again. <laughs> I I like though what you said about about working in the service industry. I, my partner and I actually met working at a coffee shop many many years ago. We didn't start dating until a few years later, but that was how we first met. Uh, and we both have extensive restaurant backgrounds. And I agree. I I honestly I feel like the world would be a better place if everybody had to work in a restaurant for at least a year. Hundred because it it completely shifts how you perceive how you perceive people. Yeah, absolutely. And and not even like a nice restaurant, like even if it's a subway or whatever. And I, I worked as a sous chef for four years when I went to college and that was, that was my restaurant experience. And I never even got the, the brunt end of a lot of those complaints and a lot of those like consumer facing issues, but you know, it always trickled down to some point to, to us doing something wrong. And 
kind of make your day crappy and just drink it off at the end of the day, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's why service industry workers drink so much, because they have to to stay sane. Exactly. All right. Well, with that, we're going to get into it uh, with the, the next portion of our conversation with the same person, AJ. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you guys on the other side. What's up, AJ? We're here on No Blackout Dates. AJ Kinney is the Partnerships Manager with Matador Network. He's here to talk to us today about not only Matador Partnerships, but also the fact that we we both are kind of at this similar thing in life where we live somewhere because uh, our partner has a job there, and we also are both new parents. So we have a lot to get into here today. But first of all, AJ, welcome to the show, and I'm curious to hear what your St. Patrick's Day plans are. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Appreciate you having me. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, I'm actually keeping it low key, and in, in the in the or actually listening to your guys's podcast the other day about um, doing COVID tests and traveling internationally. I'm based in the Cayman Islands, so I have a trip coming up soon. So I'm actually not going anywhere, not doing anything, uh, with the fear of uh, potentially testing positive and not being able to go on the trip. So I'm I'm staying put for St. Patrick's Day. Maybe some some Jameson and Guinness on the back patio, but that's about it for me. Right. Yeah, I hear you, man. I just went through that. So I was just up in Canada last week and it was a seven day trip for which I took 10 COVID tests. Yeah. Fortunately, yeah. I passed them all, but it's 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 paranoia. Yeah, I mean, that that's something that definitely needs to go soon in the travel industry. So, yeah, we're, we're excited that uh, things are going in the right direction and international travel is kicking off again. But yeah, glad I could be here. And uh, I know you you threw out the term trailing spouse earlier in uh, in our discussions. So I think I'm going to I'm going to recoin it as uh, orbiting spouse, because I feel like we're the ones that have a little bit more flexibility in where we go and what we do. And uh, our spouses are a little more uh, uh, specific to where they're where they're working and can't travel as much or do as much fun things as we can. So definitely love to chat about that. Yeah. So let, well, let's dive into it. So you live on Grand Cayman. You're from Minnesota originally. Let's get the story on what brought you there and how the process was of expatriating. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I grew up in Minnesota. My spouse and I both grew up there. Um, and in 2013, we decided to give a uh, give this whole thing a shot working remote um, Matador. I started working in Matador in 2013. And uh, when Ross and Scott, <clears throat> my, the CEO and VP said, you can work from anywhere. I said, well, really, what about Cayman Islands? And they said, as long as there's good enough lift and uh, flight and um, the ability to travel for work still go for it. So we made the big move um, previously to working at Matador. My wife was a synchronized swimming coach in Jamaica. And she had gotten the opportunity to come and coach or start coaching the head team or the national team in the Cayman Islands. So she started this program from scratch uh, when we moved down here from zero kids to up to 90 kids. Um, and we've been living here ever since. So that's that's what brought us down here. And obviously the beautiful weather and uh, tourist destination has kept us down here since. Cool. I'm curious, uh, you know, you mentioned talking to Matador about moving. So you live in a different country from the majority of the people that you work with. Well, actually from everybody, because I don't believe there's anybody else on the team that's in Cayman. But <laughs> correct. <laughs> what is that like? How how is the how does that impact your communication and your daily workflow when you're literally thousands of miles from your nearest colleague? 
Yeah, great question. And time zones are always a huge thing and just figuring out what time zones people are in or working different hours. So um, I, I kind of have figured out a way to work with multiple time zones where like one lunch and a second lunch or like uh, an early dinner and a late dinner so I can uh, have time off for myself and still be able to work um, in different time zones. Uh, majority of, of my team that I work with is West Coast. Um, so yeah, being on East Coast time zone, it is massively different and just kind of figuring out when people start working or end their day. Um, but I'm also um, a sales rep. Uh, so in the scheme of things, you don't know, have to be pretty flexible with time zones. We work with destinations and brands all over the world. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely uh, pretty flexible when it comes to that. Uh, and a great, one of the great additions this year I'm pretty stoked about is my remote workplace um, and having a uh, uh, a shared work office, which I know you're pretty, pretty happy about in general, Tim, you're, you're a big fan of. Yeah, I'm actually in a co-working space right now. Uh, I have to record here because the Wi-Fi at my house is terrible. So, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool that there, there is that in, in Cayman. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty lucky to stumble upon it. And, uh, obviously I'm not in that today. <laughs> my, my space was, uh, booked up for, uh, the conference room to record in today because same thing my internet can be somewhat sketchy living on an island uh but the workspace is actually really good internet so um yeah i was pretty happy to to get to find a place like that and it's not like a you know official you know one of the big companies you see in the u.s but um it's just a bunch of smaller companies that decided to get a really cool office and and split it right on cool man so i'm i'm curious island life coming from minnesota that's a pretty big change how has your lifestyle changed? Do you have new hobbies? What's it like to kind of move to a new place and just start over? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, the biggest shift I think was culturally. Um, and, you know, coming down here as, you know, growing up in Minnesota, I was really big into like hunting and fishing and outdoor camping and all that types of type of things. Um, so coming down here, finding more of like, uh, more of a leisure crowd, I guess, is the best way of putting it. But it's also um, a crazy mix of people all around the world, which is really cool. Um, so just talking with uh, having our friends group, uh, who's really just a mix of ethnicities and backgrounds and people from all over the world, um, making up a really cool group of people. So it was a pretty big shift going from just like cultural Minnesota to a really global community down here. Um, which was really fun, though, at the same time. Everybody has such a cool background story and, and something different. Um, and every time we have friends or family visit, they think the same thing. It's like, man, everybody just has this wild, wild story or wild background um, living on this island. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been really exciting learning that. Do you think any of these people are hiding from something back home? And that's why they absolutely you know, escaped to the islands? <laughs> yeah, of course. Because, <laughs> I, mean... I, you know, you... you, you you hear all these stories about, you know, people avoiding taxes and moving to the middle of nowhere and just having like a P.O. box, you know. I, I don't know. I've, I always imagine when I think of people living on an island that are coming from the mainland U.S. that there's probably a sketchy reason that brought them there. Yeah, I mean, that's, of course, what everybody asks instantly, like, oh, you're money laundering or hiding from taxes. Like, no, no, I still pay U.S. taxes, even though I live here and all the all that fun stuff. You can't, you can never escape us taxes or one of the few countries that, that tax, you no matter where you live in the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some great stories like that too, but, uh, 
not not anything very not not like illegal or anything just like people had a horrible relationship or uh you know a terrible spouse and things went south and they just wanted to start a new life so there's there's a lot of that too does it feel at all like you're I don't know if escaping is the right term, but you, do, does it feel at all ever like you're avoiding things back home? Like you're just, I no longer have to deal with this person or this situation because I don't live in the U.S. anymore. Yeah, I don't know how far we want to get into politics, but that's a <laughs> that's definitely something yeah. that, uh, you know, as an American, that's the first thing anyone wants to talk to you about is politics and uh Actually, growing up in Minnesota, I have slightly, I can turn on that accent pretty quick and people will just confuse me for Canadian, uh, which is a whole different set of political issues now. But yeah, I mean, that's one thing that was really great to run away from uh, was, was politics over the past few years. Um, but yeah, I mean, that disconnect, it, it never really goes away. I mean, you always, you always feel like home is still the U.S., um, you know, especially as an expat, you know, until we really determine if we're going to be down here long term. But yeah, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. I don't feel like I don't feel that disconnected because I do travel a lot for work and I do get home a lot, um, which is great, too. And we are you know, super close to the U.S. It's only like a 90 minute flight from here to Miami. So um, still very accessible. How how's the process of finding a home abroad? Did you find that challenging? Um, I don't know if you guys rent or own, but what is the process like to settle in and actually feel like you're here for good now? Yeah, that was a tough one. And that's actually kind of adding on to our hilarious story down here. So when we first moved, you know, we, we came down here with no money. Um, we were, you know, paying off bills still. And uh, basically, we had put an ad out to dog sit for friends. So we were dog sitting for a friend of ours at their house while they were off island. And then we got referred to like three or four different people that were also leaving in that same time period. So we ended up dog sitting and house sitting for like three months until we actually found a place because, again, we didn't have any money. Um, and it's it's pretty pricey down here. Um, you know, I think it's comparable to any major market city now. Um, but, I mean, we're, we're a bit of an outlier there, too, just because of um, where we live and the, the inventory that's available here, just like anywhere else in the world, I guess. But, um, yeah, we, we rent. We rent a house. Our landlord's in Jamaica, so she's not actually here. Wow. But... Uh, we rent here and um, yeah, I mean, there's, I think majority of people rent and then everything comes furnished, which is something that was kind of cool. Um, not that it's great furniture, but you know, it, it makes it easy to move into a place as an expat, not having to buy a ton of stuff for an apartment. Right. Uh, especially considering, you know, you, if you ever left, you just have to bail on it all. So why invest in it in the first place, I guess. Yeah, it's exactly it. Uh, do you, think you'll ever move back to the states or are, are you gone for good will the next move be somewhere else abroad uh hopefully my mom's not listening but <laughs> yeah yeah we'll 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 be down here probably for another year or two but you know we said that five years ago so <laughs> it's a tough question to answer um i think eventually we'll move back to the states so we have a we have a six month old now and um you know, it's it's just going to get more and more expensive to have a kid down here versus back in the States with like childcare and insurance and everything else. So, um, you know, all those adult decisions that we have to make. Let's hone in on that a little bit. So we are we're both new parents. Uh, my, we are. my daughter is going to be five months here in a few months. But my daughter was born here in the States with, you know, pretty much no drama. What was it like uh, uh, going through pregnancy and birthing a child abroad? 
yeah, that was pretty, it was pretty interesting. We have a great healthcare system down here. Um, and oh, that which, must be nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that you can't necessarily say about a lot of Caribbean destinations, but yeah, we have a really good healthcare system. Um, really trustworthy group of people. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty low key, nothing crazy. We've had friends who have had a little bit more stressful experiences because if there is a higher risk pregnancy for, you know, this specific situation, if there's a high risk pregnancy, there isn't a higher level of, um, care available on islands. So if the, the, the NICU units or stuff like that, you basically have to get an air ambulance to Miami from here, which is like crazy expensive. And then there's a whole nother thing. If you're not from the U S and you're going through that situation, you have to have like pre-approved visas and show that you can afford to have a baby in the U S and like, it's just, it's a total nightmare. So honestly, it was very easy for us. Um, great doctors, great hospital staff. Um, and we had, I think a couple weeks after she was born, we had to, we had to go get her citizenship, um, or at least start that process. So technically she is a U.S. citizen, but she needs the documents and all that too. Um, and she doesn't have Caymanian citizenship just because she's born here. Uh, so we have to get some sort of citizenship. Otherwise she can't travel anywhere. Uh, and it was in September, which is hurricane season for us. So we were like, all right, we need to get her a passport. That's the most important thing because, you know, if the hurricane hits, she won't be allowed to come in, actually even board a flight because she won't have a passport. Um, so we had to get a passport and go to like the consulate office and go through that whole process, which was, which was fine at the end of the day, but interesting. What is her passport photo looks like? Cause we, we just mailed off the app for my daughter's passport this week. Oh. And the photo is absolutely hilarious. She looks it's like hilarious. she's about to completely lose it. Oh yeah. Yep. It's like straight up Albert Einstein tongue out. Like, <laughs> and of course it looks nothing right. like her. It was taken at, at month one versus month six, which there's you know, a crazy amount of change there. But yeah, we were kind of joking too. It's like, man, our, our daughters have passports before most Americans even consider getting a passport. Like they're in that, you know, not a lot of Americans have passports. I think, is it 40% or something like that of Americans actually have one. So I thought it was cool that she's going to have an international trip in a couple of weeks here before most people ever travel. So I thought, I, I think that's pretty cool for her. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. We're excited to take our daughter to Mexico in May. And I, I think it's kind of a gift. Like, I'm really proud to be able to give my daughter that gift of travel and having a passport when she's young. Because when I was growing up, you didn't need a passport to travel to Mexico or Canada. And I never traveled anywhere else until I was in my mid-20s, at least. So I don't think I ever even had a passport until I was like 26 or 27, maybe. Just because it wasn't, I wasn't a big... You know, it just wasn't necessary for me. And I, I wish I would have traveled more when I was younger. Uh, but that being said, I didn't. So I never even had a passport till my mid 20s. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I remember it was like a letter or something like that. And that's all you needed to get over the Canada border back when, when we were growing up, which was pretty funny. Um, and yeah, I don't think I had a passport right. until I was about 17 or 18, maybe um, for my big my first international trip. So, yeah, pretty, pretty cool to say. Where are you going to Mexico? Uh, we're going to go down to Puerto Vallarta and we're going to do something new for us, which is we're we're going to stay at a resort. It might not be an all-inclusive, but my wife, and I'm sure yours can relate to this, has you know probably been through the toughest year of her life, uh, uh, both being pregnant, having a birth, and also working with a very young child. 
So we're trying to make this as low stress, at least for her, as possible. So we're going to go take it easy on the beach for a week. Oh, fair enough. Are you going to take time off or are you still going to be working remote in Mexico? I'll probably take a week off. I think I'm ready for it. Yeah, good call. Although I can attest to this, working on beaches are pretty pretty awesome too. See, I, I've tried. I don't. I have a trouble seeing my laptop screen clearly when I'm outside. I rarely ever will even sit on a patio and work just because I can't. Maybe it's my own bad eyesight, but I can't. I don't find that. I always find all those photos of like digital nomads working on the beach in Thailand to be total bullshit because, you know, I've been to Thailand. I've spent plenty of time in Bali. I never saw anybody with their laptop on the beach. I always thought that was hilarious, too, because when when you see those pictures, it's like their background is like this beautiful beach or whatever, or palm trees. I'm like, I want to be looking at that. I don't want other people to see that. Like they, they can look at a wall or something for all I care. I want to look at the ocean when I'm working. <laughs> for sure, man. Um, let's I'm I'm curious to know, you know, this this concept of being a trailing spouse, quote unquote, or a, a, a what did you call it? An orbiting spouse. I like that term a lot better. Orbiting, sounds, orbiting spouse. It sounds cooler. Uh, but I was first introduced to it by my neighbor, um, who they're they're a lot older than us, but he has been in our town Palisade for 20-some years now who moved here because of his wife's job. And since then, it's become kind of a joke in my house. We didn't originally move here for my wife's job. We were both, you know, she was freelancing when we moved, but then she found a job, and this is what's going to keep us here a long time, I imagine. But now I'm just like, you know, oh, yeah, I'm just the trailing spouse that sits around and... Uh, you know, let's my wife decide and run the show on, on where we're going to be. How does that feel? How does that feel to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right in the same boat, right? Like, uh, you know, we moved down here because of her role. I mean, we made the decision together, obviously. Um, and, you know, because I was able to work remote, we made it a little bit easier. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on her work permit. I'm a, I'm a dependent on her on this island. So like uh, there was a lot of that legal stuff that we had to go through um to get me as an approved dependent um we're on like her healthcare system down here so it's yeah i mean it's very much um dependent on her and how long we're going to be down here um i do have a little more freedoms than she does and she's very much locked into being a coach on the pool deck right so she can't go anywhere else or do any other uh activities like like i can is the best way of putting it we're kind of like that too. It's it's interesting too because we both love travel and and you know being abroad and stuff. And uh, a lot of the travel I've done has been with my wife. Um, but now she ha you know she's got a serious job with the the couple weeks off a year, and uh, she loves it though. And I think it'll keep us here for a while. But the the days of like yeah let's go to let's go to Southeast Asia for a month. That's not really especially now with the kid. That's not really uh, on the dock for us at the moment. Yeah, fair enough. Um, which is sad and good at the same time. Yeah, I totally get that. And we were, I think, right, bef right before we were going to go, uh, well, right before we, we, were, we got pregnant, we were going to do a big trip um, around around Europe, kind of the same thing, take about a month or two off work and just train train hop through Europe. And that's obviously changed significantly now with uh, with having a baby. Yeah, let's let's dive into that a little bit. So the baby. Everybody tells you it's going to change everything in your life, and it does, but it's not the way, at least I pictured it. Uh, it's it's more like a, it's amazing, but it's really, it's really hard to balance everything and to zoom out and 
remain focused on a big picture when you're constantly watching this child. Uh, and it's kind of changed how I think about travel, um, particularly like long-term travel. It's made me want to ensure that she has international experiences as a kid uh, that I didn't really have because I want her to have a broad worldview that expands beyond the circle in which we live. Um, what is your plan for traveling with your child? If you have, what will you do in the future? Where do you want to take her? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and me not traveling internationally at a younger age, I think was, um, well, traveling now, I guess, is a huge eye or awakening for me. Um, it's been something that I've really credited just who I've developed to be as a person over the years um, is just learning about different experiences, different cultures, different people, and honestly, some of the best education that you can have. So it's it's something I for sure want my daughter to have um, and have really good access to, which is why we stuck with the U.S. passport versus another. Um, and yeah, I mean, the first place that I want her to go, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, probably places that I haven't gone to. I think that'd be really cool to experience uh, a destination uh, internationally that I've never been to um, together with my daughter. Um, maybe somewhere in South America, like Brazil or um, Argentina, or uh, I don't, I mean, there's so many amazing places that I haven't been to yet um, that I'd, that I'd really like to get to soon. Um, and even more so with, with a daughter. Right on. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel the same way. I can't wait to take her to, to Mexico and uh, hopefully over to Europe at some point uh, while she's pretty young. I think that'll be cool to see her reaction to the architecture and some of those. Oh, I was just going to say Europe is definitely on the list. Uh, we have another really cool thing about down here is we have friends from all over the world. We're starting to move back home too. So we have all these cool places that we can go visit now. Um, we have a really close friend that's actually moving back to Rome very soon. Um, so that'll be for sure on our list is going back to uh, going back to Italy and visiting them. Cool. Hell yeah, man. So we'll do one more here before we close out. I see you have a bunch of fishing rods on the wall behind you on an island that you live. What's the biggest fish you've caught? The biggest fish I've caught is a marlin. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, I, I love eating fish too. Obviously, I, I don't go fishing just for the sport of it. So uh, tuna would be the biggest edible fish. You can eat marlin. It's a, it's a good fish, but um, we actually release all marlin down here um, as, a, as a sport fish. So. Marlin is the biggest. I think we didn't weigh it, so I don't know the actual weight of it, which is great because then I get to lie about how big it was all the time. Uh, but it was a couple hundred pounds. Yeah, right, right. A couple hundred pounds. That's that's impressive, man. You're not going to find any of those in Colorado, that's for sure. No, my wife and I actually went fishing. Uh, we were going out one day uh, on my friend's boat. I took out my friend's boat. We were just going to catch some, some mahi because it was the season for it. And uh, so it was just her and I on the boat and we had a couple of rods out and uh, we ended up finding a marlin in this spread of mahi and it was a very large fish. And I, I saw it like swatting at the baits that I had in the water so I could see the fish in the water and ended up hooking up to it. And I wasn't planning to do this, but it just how it happened. Um, so we ended up hooking up to it for about three and a half hours. And she was driving the boat because it's wow. very much a two-person job. We have to, like, chase down the fish, and it runs with line, and it takes hundreds of yards out at a time, and you got to reel it all in and chase it down. Uh, and we got it to the boat about seven times, but we never got it close enough where it was a technical catch. You have to get it within a certain distance. Um, but we saw it, and it was incredibly big. And if we had any sort of measurement gauge, it was the boat, and it was about half the length of the boat. 
So it could have been anywhere from like 10 to 15 feet long was the size of this fish. So it was, that was the biggest Damn, that we never technically huge. caught. But that's my, that's my old man in the sea, uh, nod to Hemingway there, <laughs> fishing, fishing story. Cool. Well, AJ, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate that. Where can, where can people follow you online? Awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, Matador Network, you can follow us on all of our social channels, uh, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and then personally, uh, Instagram is probably the best way uh, to, to follow me. I have a, a pseudo name, Chuck Winchester, my karaoke stage name uh, for anyone that's interested in seeing what I'm up to in the Cayman Islands. Cool. Right on. Well, uh, AJ, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Yep. Appreciate it, Tim. All right, we're back here in news of the day. Uh, I still have my guest of honor, AJ, here with me in Evan's absence. Hopefully Evan is uh, living it up in London right now, and then I know he's off to Saudi Arabia. So he's got some cool adventures ahead that he's going to have a lot of stories to share with us when he gets back. In the interim, though, we ran a pretty interesting article on Matador the other day about a potential end to liquid restrictions and carry-on bags when you're passing through security. And AJ, the main thing I took away from this article uh, is that the reason why, in the first place, you're not allowed to have certain liquids and why they have to be in a smaller container of less than three ounces is due to a foiled terrorist plot in 2006 that involved explosives in soft drinks. I had no idea. Had you ever heard of that before? I had. I didn't know it had anything to do with soft drinks, but I, I did know that it was the that rule because of mixing of liquids, gels, aerosols, you know, the whole spiel that they give you at TSA um, under that size wouldn't be damaging, I guess, to planes or people. But yeah, that that is very interesting. So I wonder if there's been a, uh, you know, uh, what the alternative solution is going to be to this, um, because I can't imagine it isn't a threat anymore. Right, right. And basically what the article goes on to say is that TSA... Uh, is testing an end to what's been called the 311 rule, which maintains that you have to have less than 3.4 fluid ounces in a one quart size bag, which has been in place since 2006. I feel like my my thought is, you know, I'm all about making it easier to go through airport security or whatever, if it's possible to do that safely. But at this point, like, A, I think the most annoying point of airport security is taking your shoes off if you don't have global entry or are in a place where you have to do that. The rest of the stuff, honestly, we've been doing it for so long, I almost wonder if it's even necessary to change. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree there. And I actually like having my liquids in a separate bag because I've had so many exploded liquids on flights, like just from the compression or from the um, the flight in general. So I'm like, it's almost an, an automatic for me that any liquid goes in its own separate bag, whether I'm checking it or carrying it on. Right. And I honestly, I generally, other than like toothpaste, you know, I usually have a little travel toothpaste thing, but that's about the only liquid I have consistently when I'm flying. So, yeah, that's fair too. I guess I don't, I only have a few things that are actually liquid, which makes it easy to fit in that quart size bag. But, um, yeah, that's, I feel like as I've always seen it being a hang up at, uh, TSA when you're going through, I mean, it's, it's always the bag and how much stuff is in there and, someone thinks, oh, I can have two quart size bags because there's two people flying. And I don't know, it's, it's always like at the, at the rule of TSA, but I think it, it would have been great knowing, knowing this or was going to happen sooner. Uh, I was just joking earlier that the, uh, 
some of like TSA things that we've had stopped before uh, are taken away from you. And, and uh, one of the things that was taken away was guacamole uh, because it's a, it's a liquid or a gel. It falls <laughs> under that category. So I was yeah, like, it's, come it's on. It's technically a liquid, It's right? technically a liquid. And the, the lady kind of laughed. She's like the TSA lady. She's like, you know, you could have walked through here if you didn't mash up the avocados. She's like, it, that would have been totally fine. But because they're now technically a paste, we have to take it from you. So we sat, sat in front of TSA and ate our guacamole before we went through. <laughs> that's hilarious, man. Yeah, you can you can transform an avocado into something that's illegal to fly with. That's hilarious. I even have, actually, now that, and, and I know people that'll travel, like, with frozen water bottles so that they don't have to pay for a water, right? So it's a solid going through TSA, but when it melts throughout your day, it's liquid. So yeah, it's, you're right. It's probably an, an outdated rule for some reason. All right. Well, we will link to this article in the show notes from Matador's Olivia Harden about airport security potentially ending carry-on liquid restrictions thanks to the development of a new scanner. Thank you for listening to No Blackouts today. AJ, thank you for joining us. We'll see everybody next week. 